Hi, welcome to Teen Talk, a podcast where Jewish teens from around the world can send in questions and we'll explore the answers right here on this platform. Visit our website, jewishteentalk.com, to send in questions for future episodes. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Jewish Teen Talk, episode 10. This week, we have with us Ahuva. Hi, Ahuva. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. And actually, Mrs. Naparsik is my favorite teacher of all time. So I'm really happy to be doing it with her. So here's our first question of the week. What is the literal reason for boys and girls to be separated? Why does it sound so extreme sometimes? I don't really know how to explain what I mean, but I guess I kind of realize what I mean. So Ahuva, do you want to start? Totally. Um, I'm actually going to address the second question. Why does it sound so extreme sometimes? So um, I think that Tara laid down the law because if it didn't, like it really laid down the law on this one and made it like really clear because if it didn't, then I think boys and girls would try to find gray areas and try to break the boundaries and cross the line. And the Tara set strict rules. So there wouldn't be able to be any gray areas to be exploited. The fact that the question is being asked about the extreme part, I think that that's so spot on you know, whoever asked it, the fact that they brought up like the word extreme, because if you think about it, you know, religious boys and girls are separate, are separated, they go to different schools, they don't mingle and interact, and there's no like boyfriend, girlfriends. And then, you know, once they're ready to get married, now they're meeting their destined one. And it's it's kind of like it jumps to the opposite extreme, like now it's like husband and wife and like, you know, um, total 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 opposite extreme because now it's not separate from your husband it's really like be one be together so you're right it is extreme and like ahuva said which i thought was such a great way of starting to answer is that the reason why it's so extreme is because the tyra or the rabbis who made these boundaries are trying to protect us they're trying to make life easier you know, if you think of the Tyra and we think of it like, oh my gosh, it's so demanding, it's so restricting, then we're not going to want to keep it. I don't want to keep that kind of Tyra. But Tyra is v'chaibahem, that you should live with the laws. So the Tyra is there to make our life more pleasant, to make our life more meaningful, full of purpose. So there is definitely a reason behind it. And the fact that you used the one who asked the question, used the word literal reason. I don't know what you meant by literal because I don't know what reasons you've been given, but we'll try to do our best to answer it as best as possible, Ahuva and I. Um, Ahuva, do you have any thoughts or? Yeah, okay. So the reason, so I can't obviously, you can't give the literal reason that Chachamim or Hashem thought of, but the the one thing I can actually think of a couple of things, but the first one is like, just to see like around me, I have a lot of friends who are dating, who have boyfriends, had boyfriends, had multiples, and like the biggest thing that I see in relationships is like the constant heartbreak, specifically for the girls. I'm not really friends with the boys. I don't know. But the girls like I had a, I had one friend who had a boyfriend and then one day she called me up and she said she was so upset she said I broke up with him. And then she gave me a list of things of what he was doing that she didn't like. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, whatever. I consoled her. And then a couple of weeks later, she called me and she was like, I'm back with him. And I'm like, what? That was for me, it was like so out of the blue. I really thought she was done with him. And she goes, no, I'm back with him. And I said, what about all those things? And I said, can you live with them? And she goes, I don't like them, but I guess I'll live with it. So 
actually it's a lot of sacrifices sometimes that the girls make um and also that like girls put more mental effort and emotional parts of themselves into the relationship whereas the boys don't as much and when the heartbreak happens the girls are really really affected emotionally and mentally like they'll read into it more like did he say this what what if he said this and when he said this I felt like this and she'll read into it a lot more and it 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 builds a lot up until the breakup happens and it's like oh my gosh her world is destroyed yeah obviously but like literally but um I had another friend who I saw her like throwing up and I said, what's wrong? I helped her, whatever. And then I went to another friend and I said, what happened to her? She was like throwing up. She doesn't look good. And the friend said, it's because she broke up with her boyfriend a couple of months ago and she's still really, really upset. And now she's like anxious and feeling depressed a lot. And so she has that heartbreak very, very often. And I was like, she's living with it until she gets over it. And I was like, oh my gosh. Right. Another reason that I found, oh, what do you think of that actually? Um, I, I agree with you. I definitely women are are created, you know, more emotional and intuitive. I'm not saying that there aren't men that are emotional too and very intuitive, but um definitely a heartbreak, especially for a young girl, is very excruciating, painful, and um and affects the self-esteem. I mean, it can affect a, a young girl in many ways. Um I did want to just jump in and add that the attraction between boys and girls is created by God. It's very normal. So this question, I don't know how old this person is, but definitely at a developmental stage, you know, where a girl has hit puberty or a boy has, like there is going to be an attraction between the two and Hashem created them that way. But, you know, like this is where the boundaries came in where you know even if a girl feels feelings towards a boy or she you know wants to hang out more or get to know him more here is where for religious girls and boys we have those um we have those i'm trying to think of like a word instead of boundaries we have guidelines so that you know we won't come to experience like what ahuva saying that kind of heartbreak and instead you know instead of it being a distraction from us working on ourselves and growing and getting to know ourselves and also learning and whatever we need to be doing it really really equips us with uh an easier time I guess through this stage because when you introduce boyfriend girlfriend and then you know who's dating who and which guy's cuter than the other guy or whatever girls are talking about pressure right it becomes peer pressure and then it's all about and then we don't stop thinking about it and talking about it and obsessing about it or, and then you're right when it doesn't work out, that just can shatter, you know, a girl's world or a guy's world and um, can create a lot of also confusion. And also years later, when a girl or boy want to settle down a lot of times, like they can be comparing their partner or their spouse to a former partner or a former girlfriend, a former boyfriend. And so the way that the Tyra designed, um, the way that Hashem designed, because Hashem wrote the Tyra, right? And and I want to also um, clarify that there are laws from the Tyra. Um, one of the laws in the Tyra is in Parshas Vayikra, so straight from the Chumash, 
is that it's forbidden to affectionately touch individuals of the opposite gender. And I'm quoting this, I'm actually quoting this from Rambam, so I'm sorry, that's not straight from the Torah. But in Vayikra, it says like, ish ish al kol So talking about, um, it's uh, what I'm trying to say is that in the Torah, there are explicit laws. And a lot of times when we talk about separating the genders, it might not be directly from God's mouth, like do not go to the same school as a boy or the same school as a girl. But like you said, Ahuva, these are boundaries that the that the rabbis and the chachamim and the sages established for us to have an easier life and a more purposeful life and an easier time. And also for marriage to be so holy and so special and so unique because there hasn't been a relationship before that. I was actually discussing that with my mom today and we both agreed. And a couple of other things I actually just thought of, I was talking to my cousin, I got this list of questions today that you gave me and I was discussing that with my cousin, she's 16 and her insights were so interesting. One of the things that she said was you yourself, the girl, doesn't, hasn't fully discovered herself yet. So obviously the boy hasn't discovered himself fully yet either. So how can you ask from him something when neither of you knows like who you are and what you can give him. How could you ask for him all kinds of things that girls ask for? Care, affection, gifts, whatever it is. How can you ask that? And another thing that I was actually talking to my dad, he works in a, in a school. And he said that when there's boys and girls, they're so, they're, both sides are so distracted. Grades can slip, like crazy things. And um, actually... Um, I was talking to a friend who's in um, a, like a mixed school, like the boys separated and the girls only for some classes. And she said, it is such a pressure to go to school every morning. You have to look good. You have to put makeup on. Girls, they get up at like six in the morning to put their put their makeup on, do their hair, make sure they look good, even if they're like on like no sleep. And it's such a pressure. Like I went to like uh, from school where it's only girl like I just show up how I look in the morning like I don't even care I don't right. have to plus think oh my gosh do I look awful like right right 100% and I actually I love what you said about um, developing like you know you're still getting to know yourself and then to go into a relationship where now the guy is asking of you or you need to take into consideration this whole other person who's also just getting to know themselves yeah it's it's you know it, it, it is cute. Sometimes you hear like high school sweethearts, you know, and then they get married. But like it's you're so saying, you know, and from I've heard from different, you know, girls and guys that have hooked up, it's it's complicated. It's not as simple as it sounds. And at the end of the day, you're right, we are developing at that stage. And part of that stage of development is being attracted to the opposite gender. God created us that way. And it's just waiting a little bit longer for the right time, you know, when you actually meet your your destined one or whoever you'll spend your life with. And it's worth the wait. That's what I want to say. I'll tell you um, what I say to my kids as well is that there's there's the there's the oi ah theory and the ah oi. I guess it's like a real unit <laughs> way of saying it. But the 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 ah oi is where you're like ah. I'm so free. I don't have any limitations. I'm not going to separate from guys and girls. I'm going to a school. I'm going to hook up with guys or the opposite. You know, if a guy says that about a girl and then mm. you're experiencing life with freedom and without limitations. But mm. then later on, there could be that I like, you know, I, oh, 
I just wish I was with that guy because he's so much better than the guy I'm with right now. Or, you know, there's that comparison is what we um, discussed. Whereas if a girl or a guy is, I, you know, I just wish I could call that girl up or I just wish that, you know, I could just go out with her or, you know, the girl thinking that about the guy and it's like, okay, uh, like I have to wait really like until I'm married. But then years later, it's like, ah, like I, like I have a guy who's good to me, who's, and I'm, I'm not comparing him to any other guy out there because this is the, the one that I have, right? The one that, and I mean, in my experience, I've heard of many, many situations where the compare, the comparing or the heartbreak, or it just, it's, um, I, I want to use the word, it complicates things more. And, but again, I really want to validate this question because it is, uh, it is something that Hashem created and it's very, very normal to feel this way and to ask these questions. And it is pretty extreme. I mean, between you and I, like, yeah, I mean, you know, it all depends what we're really, what we're um, comparing it to. I love, I love that rule. The, the I, uh, I, I love that rule. And I, you know, I think I'm going to use it if I ever need to talk to someone about this stuff. Um, is it okay if I add one last thing? Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. Um, so my father, I said, as he works in the school, so he works on the boy side of the school and like, just to get some perspective, I was shocked when he said it, he said, there are some girls in the school, like it's a boy side and, and a girl side and like in the same building. So he said on the boy side, he hears the boys when they talk to him, they say, oh, this girl is easy, this girl is that. And the the girls who date a lot end up getting the reputation of, oh, she's easy, just go for her. She falls like free, she falls for whoever it is really fast, whatever. And whereas the girls who don't really date, all the guys are like, oh my gosh, I want to date her, I want to date her. And they, and she doesn't date and makes it so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And my mother said to me once, like along this line of like, Ahuva, if you don't, um date then you are so much more interesting to all the boys who might think that you're cute or might like you you're so much more interesting because you've never dated so they don't know who you are and you don't talk to them it makes you so much more interesting it's so much more mysterious hmm. and that's I don't know she's like I'm just something interesting that I was like whoa yeah that's really cool thanks for sharing that the second question for this week what's up with discouraging Religious girls and boys from going to college or university. It's a good one. Well, I don't have a full answer for that, but I do have an example. Okay. Um, I have a friend who went to like a CJEP. She and she said that she went to the CJEP. She was in it, and she said she did not like the atmosphere. She hated it. The way they talked there, the like the teenagers, like the non-Jewish ones, the way they talked, it was awful. Whatever, they weren't necessarily nice to each other. There was so much dating. There was anti-Semitism. There was a lot of hate. There was a lot of discrimination, like just in general, not a, like. And she said she really hated it, and she said the group of Jewish students in that um, CJEP literally stuck to each other, and they didn't really make friends with the non-Jews so much. And then I was talking to my mother and she said, really, it's not a place for religious kids, like, like a regular university, because like, there's so much dating, like, there's so much crazy things going on. There's like dating. My mother actually talked about like date raping. And I was like, whoa, like, apparently it happens in like colleges where like a guy or, or a girl will even throw something in your drink and then like knocks you out and then like rape you, like just right. crazy things like that, where I was like, oh my gosh. Right. Um, and it's not like such a great atmosphere. I don't know. 
I know it's like so annoying that, oh, we, they want to keep us all in like the Shona and the religious bubble. So I think for when, like when religious Jews go to university, I think it's like a really big culture shock. And I think that, that they're just trying to protect us from that. I don't, I'm not actually against university. I'm in university myself, but I'm doing it online. Okay. Um, and I think the way to go, honestly, for religious people is just online or like a Jewish college, like YU, like Turo, like Sarah Schneer, which is also online yeah. or just like general online from like any college. I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't suggest personally going to like a real university, maybe CJEP because people there are usually younger, but I don't think I would go to a real university like myself. Just right. I want to be exposed to all the ich. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have so much to say about this question because I've yeah. literally gone to university, a non-Jewish university. Okay. Um, and I'll, you know, talk about how I got there. Um, and I, I just like looking back at the question, it's asking why religious girls and boys are discouraged from going to college university. So I just want to say this as a disclaimer. There are Jewish girls and boys that go to college and that go to university. Right. And um, hopefully we can give, you know, like a like a picture based on our experience and based on what we've heard and learned of why religious girls and boys would be discouraged from going. But I don't want to in any way um, sound like we're judging anybody who makes a decision to go. Maybe it's because their family, you know, encourages them to go because there are many families that do encourage their children to go. Um, So I want to just touch on last week's episode, episode nine, where we, Um, reinforce the idea that every home has different standards and I mean I I'm I was brought up Chabad so my perspective about college and university comes from the Rebbe from Rabbi Schneerson from and somebody else may be brought up in a home where their parents really want them to get a degree and they encourage them to go so just we need to just to bear that in mind as our listeners are hearing this, that every home has different standards and the school you went to and the teachers, how they taught and the principal. And we're in no way saying that going to college and university, if you've been brought up with a notion to do so, and that that is um, the chosen path that in any way we're nixing it. But this is, at least I can speak for myself and Ahuva, you know, you can say for yourself, but whatever I'm sharing now will come from my Chabad upbringing. So, yeah, so, okay, so growing up in a Chabad school um, and the Rebbe, there were many times when the Rebbe discouraged someone from going to college university, especially when they were unmarried. And the reason that I learned as I was growing up is because of, like Ahuva had said, because of the environment, because of the the lifestyle that they're living. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like putting yourself into a position where you're really being tested as a religious Jew. And it's really, I really want to be tested. Exactly. Like, Like, why would I want to put myself in exactly into a situation like that? So all that being, all that being said, I was like the A plus student and following whatever was told. I, you know, I said my chitas, I, I dove it, whatever I needed to do. I did like, I was that kid that, you know, just to please everyone. And then um, I actually found myself um, a few years into marriage after my fourth child with I had just been released from the hospital a few months before and I'd been a teacher for many years but there were no teaching jobs available so somehow like and I believe it's you know all in Hashem's doing because he orchestrates everything I ended up in Concordia University in Montreal which is a non-university and I entered a program called human relations I was in it for one year 
And to say that it is a culture shock, I agree with that. Like, but at the same time, I, I, I kind of see why the Rebbe said, wait until you're married. Because going to university as a married woman with children, I was taken. Like there was no, um, I know the question before kind of fits into here too. Like I wasn't going to go out with the guys. I wasn't going to hang out with them. Like I've got my husband, I've got my kid. So in university, um, I did see why the idea was to go after you're married. But, you know, I've also heard people say like, what do you mean? I'm going to wait till I'm married and then go to university with kids. Like, are you kidding me? So again, this is my own personal experience. And I was also brought up in a school where I learned that the Rebbe was against going to college and university before marriage. And I didn't really understand it. But then again, when I went myself, I was like, okay, now I can understand why. Um, So for the past nine years, I was in a non-Jewish university. I graduated this past summer. And I honestly say that if I was not married when I went to university, I would not be religious today. There's no question because, you know, it's like this environment. Yeah. Which is so, I feel like going into it for me, it was very clear what my priority is in life, what, why I'm going, I'm just going to get this degree. So for me, my life is, was my kids, my husband, all that came first. And then I go to university on the side. So yes, I put myself into my studies and I worked hard. But even when I was in that environment, I only went by my legal name. Nobody called me Bashi because I felt like Bashi was like a little bit too close and a little bit too friendly. And then before I knew it, they're coming over to to my house. We're hanging out. I'm going to theirs. Like it could easily have gotten very gray and very difficult to maneuver being religious. Like before I knew it, maybe we're going to a non-kosher restaurant or maybe we're in Starbucks, but they're ordering... So it was a little bit too close for me. So for me to remember that I'm religious and, you know, like even the Parsha that just passed Kedoshim, Kedoshim, instead of just it meaning holy, it means separate. So just remembering that, like, I am a religious woman. And so I introduced myself by Basha and everybody called me Basha. And it was like this, this, like, not untouchable because I was very friendly and open, but it was kind of like, yeah. So I was in university for the past nine years, like I said, and to be honest, um, I had one semester where I was there the whole day, like I showed up nine in the morning, I went downtown, and then I came home at 1130 at night on the bus. My poor kid, but it was that one day of the semester of the week, like that was my full day. But what happened to me, and it was a few years into university, but what happened that day, which I was like, whoa, this is why they were, you know, discouraging us from going, is that it was such an environment that like I would go sit by a picnic table or just go sit in the lunch wherever in the cafeteria and everybody sitting around me almost every second word was a curse word it was just like a given that they would just talk like that and the environment just felt like it was too much for me to handle as a religious Jew like you know and again I was I was trying to keep up with my with my studies, but also at the same time, while I'm learning those studies, I actually realized, hey, why am I not also scheduling Torah classes? So wow. at one point, I was like, you know what, if I scheduled three classes this week, that means I need three classes of Tyra. And that really helped me also, wow. what I want to say. So it's doable. 
And again, like I said, if I wasn't married, I would I would not be religious now because I would just mingle with the girls. And then if guys were hitting on me, I would probably have been really flattered and gone for it. And then if they're all hanging out, like, why do I want to be the party pooper and not hang out? So I probably would end up and then what and then there's booze and then there's parties and who knows about the kosher food. So it does get very gray and very um very complicated or very difficult to keep up the standards as a religious Jew. And um, yeah, all that being said, I got through it. And one other thing I wanted to mention was that like when I would be in classes, which were extremely liberal and very not in sync with Tyra perspective, I was constantly having to filter through what was being taught and it's exhausting, but you know, it was important to me to, to find out, oh wait, what's the Tyra perspective? Um, we had one class where the whole class was about, it was a whole parenting, like child development class. And it was all about um, same, same sex marriage. Oh, and, and the whole class was going to be about that, about two women as moms or two men. And for me, like with my wig as a religious Jew, I had to, I had to make a decision and I thank God I had a religious friend actually also a, a, a religious woman in that class. And her and I decided we're not going to that class. So we didn't. And then the following week, obviously, the teacher paired people up in groups to discuss last week's discussion. And mm -hmm. I guess Hashem knew what I needed because I was put into a group with actually a Muslim woman, very, very religious woman. Oh, wow. She very openly and very confidently told the group, there's no way I came to last week's class because I don't believe in that. And I was sitting there and I wasn't going to say anything because I don't want to sound like that religious woman who's so sheltered, who doesn't. And I sat there and she like, she gave me so much courage as a religious Jew in university. Like, I don't believe in that. Um, so that was really interesting. And I was also put into positions where we did like a role playing once and I had to be the, the gay partner or something like that was the role oh, I was put in. And I'm like... I'm wearing a wig. I'm clearly religious. It was very, very awkward. But, you know, I, I, I can admit here that I wasn't as confident as that Muslim woman. Like, I didn't say, hey, this is against my beliefs, because I was I was worried that, you know, they'll think, oh, Jewish women are so, you know, in the box. Yeah. But at the same time, I did through the years become much more um, become much more proud, actually, of being Jewish and a lot more grateful that we're brought up religious based on what I saw and what I heard and what others, the feedback that I got from others about, you know, how they view us as religious Jews. So, you know, Hashem puts us where we need to be. And I did go through the experience. Um, right now, I, if I were to ever go back to university, I would go back to a Jewish one, um, a from one, which exists, like Ahuva said, and they're amazing and very professional. My husband went through one of them recently. So um, again, we're not trying to um, push any standards or views through this episode. And I just want to clarify that this is based on my Chabad upbringing. And I believe that this question must have come probably from someone who's Chabad. But even so, I, I think that also I know that also there's other sects in Judaism that don't either go to college or university. Anything to add, Ahuva? Um, Actually, just like one thing. Um, I'm in I'm in university online and the literally the only people with me are like mainly like Bell's girls like like Bell's and they said like if it weren't for this we wouldn't be in university because we don't go to university and I guess kind of this 
university thing kind of made me realize like hey I'm just happy for the little Jewish box that we're in kind of thing interesting wow thanks for sharing that yeah yeah and it's and it's neat that religious women and religious men do have the opportunity to get their degree you know we need doctors we need lawyers we need dentists we need therapists and it is very doable in a Jewish setting I just want to jump in here before we go to our last question of the week um two things first of all if you're a teen a Jewish teen and you want to be featured on this episode you can go on jewishteentalk.com and just write I'd be interested in being interviewed and then write your email so we can contact you directly um we always get the permission from parents and like you see we don't use any last names we just introduce by first name only um but I've honestly found that doing this podcast with teens is literally Jewish teen talk so it's really that this podcast was created for you for Jewish teens to have a voice to be able to um express yourself to be able to share your knowledge and your experience which we've been hearing till now um I also want to encourage you to send in questions jewishteentalk.com and you can submit them anonymously um as many questions as you have every question is accepted every question is considered and we bring it up and no question is um is pushed away at the same time we are in a world which is a false world they call it ilma shaker and i was told after my parents passed away that now they're in a world where there there's no more questions they have all the answers so i'm saying this because i know that jewish teen talk has been created um with a question and answer format at the same time there may not always be an answer to your question and you may be seeking and seeking and you're not getting the answer and it's like you know what i give up i don't want to be religious anymore i don't want to do this So I'm here to say that this world is full of questions. That's the way God created it. And sometimes the question that you may have may not be answered. And that doesn't mean that there's not an answer, but it may be an answer that only God can answer when Mashiach comes. And yeah, with that, we'll start with our next question. And I actually just want to add to that, that the people who have questions, which is pretty much everybody, should really embrace the questions because it means that you're thinking about what you believe in and you're looking for meaning and that's that's really amazing and Chabad welcomes questions and Mrs. Naparsik who's so awesome welcomes questions too so really embrace them for sure and and even because this is called Jewish Teen Talk even all all um, sects of Judaism everyone welcomes questions because Tyra encourages it and actually the next question is something that one of our forefathers one of our Avais asked himself. So let's dive right in. How do we know that the God that we believe in is a true God? Why should I only believe in our God? That is the most loaded question of all time. Um, so actually, I just have an example for this. I was on a phone call with a friend who was like, Uva, give me therapy. And like, sure. She actually asked me, like, she was telling me, I don't want to be religious anymore. I don't want religion. Organized religion is not for me, which a lot of people say, actually, they don't really just don't want the organized religion. Yeah. They would rather just have the free choice that we actually mentioned before. And I said, you know what? I said, okay, fine. Do me a favor. I said, if you don't want to be religious, at least believe in God. And the reason that I said that was because I said, look, I have actually another friend that that said to me once, we were sitting, I can literally just picture it. It was me, my friend, and another girl. We were sitting on the dirt path in a park, like on a hill. We were sitting and we were just discussing. And my friend said, how could it be that God is everywhere? And I said, 
okay, I don't know because I'm not like God, obviously. But then I said, what if God was nowhere? And she was like, what? Like, <laughs> like what? And I said, what if God was nowhere? What if there was no God? And we're just here in the world left to our fates and just that's it like just things that happen to us just happen to us for no reason just some you just i don't know and if something bad happens to you for example it causes something bad happens to someone it's we can't even say that oh it's god and maybe god has the best has the best in mind for me but if there was no god it'd be like oh well just bad things happen to me i must have bad luck maybe i'm a bad person blah whereas if we have a god at least you know that like someone's watching over us and someone has our best interest in mind and also when we're going through something bad that he obviously gave us we have someone to turn to someone who's actually just all powerful it's not like i can turn to my mother who sometimes can't even do something for me even though she's my mother it's the god who's like who can do anything so it's kind of i think it's very comforting to have to know that there's a god and people who don't believe in god people who are atheists and are more into science science is their higher power our higher power is God, but their higher power is science, and it still gives them something to believe in, something to like. Okay, fine, they're comforted by that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and why should I only believe in our God? So I can't say why. I can say that um, Arabs, like Muslims, like religious Muslims, believe in technically the same God that we do. We just they're it's just a different religion. And Christians, like, I wouldn't say go believe in their God, but they usually they pray to Yashka and they pray to idols or other saints. And I say, like, okay, yeah, go do that. But at least Judaism, we we don't even need like an intermediate or like um, a medium to, to reach God. We can just reach God like ourselves without that. And I think that's actually so much better. Right. Wow. Very, very powerful points, Ahuva. And also the fact that you brought up Muslims and Christians, a Jew is allowed to actually go into a mosque because they believe in one God, like Muhammad is a prophet for them. Whereas a church is that they don't believe in one God. They believe, you know, that Jesus or Yashka was the son of God and, you know, all that that they believe in is not is not at all what we believe and is actually idol worship for us. Um, I just wanted to mention that. I also want to um, tell our listeners that if they want to hear more about this topic, which I started to discuss with my daughter in episode six, you can listen to that episode, episode six. And this is a great question. And it builds on that one, too, that we discussed there. Um, so the, actually, Avram Avino, Abraham, our forefather, he que- he had this question. So whoever sent this in is, you know, um, definitely taking um, walking in our forefathers' footsteps. And um, Avram asked, you know, I wonder where's like what who created the world? And then he went around and tried to discover it. So for him, he discovered God because he realized, okay, it can't be the trees because they lose their leaves in the fall or whatever it was. It can't be the moon because it goes away. It can't be the sun. And he kept like thinking, oh, maybe it's the stars. But then they also went away. And eventually he realized, okay, there must be a God. And he even like risked his life to teach others that there is a God. Like King Nimrod threw him into a, a, you know, a fire. And then there was a miracle. So God clearly showed himself as like, hey, he's right. I'm here, you know. So I think what's really difficult in this world 
And I spoke before about the, you know, the fact that when a person passes on, now they have no more questions, everything's answered, they know there's God, and they believe in God, and there's no more questions. At the same time, I also heard Rabbi Manis Friedman say that if you were to ask a child, where's God, who is God, they don't question it. Because a child, a Jewish child is so pure, they're born so pure, their soul is like, you know, just no sins, they're pure, 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 they will not question God. It's a given for them. Um, but God is very hidden in this world. And even, you know, recently we had Purim. Well, not so recently, but in the Megillah itself, the whole story of Purim, you don't even hear, you don't even, there's God's, God's name is not written in the Megillah, in the story of Purim, because God was hidden in that story. And every time it says the, the, the word king in the Megillah, it's actually referring to God, but God was hidden. So the fact that you're asking, how do we know that God, that we believe is a true God? Why should I only believe in our God is such a valid question because you're right. How do we know that the God that we believe in is a true God? Unless we hear like a Baskal, you know, a heavenly voice that comes out and says, I am the God and stop questioning it because just, you know, like he says, I'm, I'm the God. We don't really hear that voice. So God is extremely hidden in this world. And the reason why he's hidden is because he wants us to find him. He wants us to, you know, he He created this world with a purpose and a meaning. And he wants us to elevate everything that we do. He wants us to recognize him. When we wake up in the morning, Moda'ani, thank you, God, for my soul. But he's hiding. So I actually remember when I was a teacher in Hebrew day school, um, it was a Sunday school, and I was teaching these non-religious children about God. And so I said, okay, God. So one young girl asked, um, you know, she, she would probably have her question on Jewish teen talk. She's like, where's God? I don't see him for sure. So somehow as a teacher, I just had this great idea. I'm like, Hey, let's look for him. So we actually played hide and go seek. And we went around the whole like floor that we were on looking for God. And she's like opening closets and doors. The kids are like, God, are you there? God, where are you? And then the cutest thing was that when we came back to the classroom, the window was a little bit open and this girl went to close it. And I said, what are you doing? So she said, I don't want God to escape. (laughs) It was so cute. Like a little little part of the window. So the cutest was that it was the first time they were hearing about God, but they were so, they didn't question it. Like they just wanted to find him because he's hiding. And then obviously I tried, I don't remember how, you know, to teach them like, okay, even if he's hiding, he's still watching us. Um, in, so in the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu, when they got the Torah, which is where we're coming to Shavuos is coming up, the giving of the Torah, the Jews in that generation, they did not have this question because they heard God's voice. He chose them as a nation. He gave them the Torah. He did crazy miracles for them. He wasn't so hidden. And so for them, it was a given that for sure, I'm going to serve this God. And actually there were like thousands and thousands and thousands of souls of people that witnessed that the giving of the Tyra. So when I discussed with my daughter in episode six, we also, you know, explored the other religions and the, why isn't it the God that they believe in? Because the God that they believe in was maybe one person or two or three people that saw God or heard from God here. We're talking about a nation that was like thousands and thousands, even millions of people, because they say that our souls were there too. So we all witnessed it even if we don't remember. So when we're questioning, where is God? Where are you? How do I know that this is the true God? 
we are, we want to be close to God. We want to reveal him in this world. Cause this question is clearly saying that it's not that I don't believe in God. This is like hope because focus. It's like, how do I know that God is a real one? So the fact that you're asking this means that you want this, you really want God to reveal himself. So you could be like, maybe it's your friends that are asking or you yourself. I've never even heard his voice. I never saw him, but that's for some reason, that's the way God created the world. And that's how he wants it to be where we are looking for him and we're searching for him. And if we're not okay until we find him, that's a really good place to be as a Jew. Um, and I also want to just finish off with, with the thought that I have that, and I've been told is that somebody can try to prove to you from today till tomorrow that there's a God and that it, ours is a true religion and he's a true God. But at the end of the day, our, it's not going to answer the questions because belief and questioning is two separate things questioning means that it has to make sense to me my mind needs to grasp and understand it and once my mind makes sense of it okay now I'm happy but belief is not based on understanding belief is based on belief it makes no sense and we are believers the son of believers as as a Jew if you're born to a Jewish mom you have that ingrained in you we just have that ingrained belief whether or not I'm in touch with it I just believe that there's a God I don't know from I can try to prove it to you but I don't even I can't even prove it and I'm a religious woman you know dressing and doing whatever God asked me to do so it's when it's based on belief it doesn't make any sense and I know of someone who was going for her conversion to Judaism and every time I would bring up like she was learning and growing and very very smart but every time I would bring up like a story, like a miraculous story or something that, you know, happened, she would question it. She's like, how did that happen? How does that even make sense? And I started wondering, like, wait, hold on. Is that I started questioning it, too. And I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to be, you know, her mentor, or her exam, her role model. So I asked someone who was a convert and I said, you know, did you have that questioning? And they said, there is a part that's all about belief. It's just believing. And sure enough, she didn't follow through with the conversion. It didn't work out. And I think that when we're trying to make so much sense of something that's based on belief, we're never going to find the answer because it's about belief. Belief makes absolutely no sense. It's just who we are. We're believers, the son of believers. So actually, just to comment on that, I was discussing with my cousin today, there's this question, and she said, well, it's six, oh, 600,000 Jews plus, there were millions there witnesses and that's how you know that our religion and our god is right so i just thought that was so funny that you mentioned that and also about the proving thing that you can try to prove it from today and tomorrow till tomorrow and you never can't necessarily do that like it's impossible and the believing thing my mother actually mentioned that to me today and i thought it was like so right and like um i think also believing in god gives people a purpose and a meaning to their day and that's what humans really like Hashem made us that humans need a purpose, they need meaning, and they're always searching for that. And um, and I think believing in God does give us that meaning and that purpose to our lives. Like, oh, like I have a I have an end goal to achieve, which is to do this and do that, and like be religion, do that mitzvah. And I think yeah. I was reading this book that said that humans are um always searching for meaning and the book was about oh try find your passion so and do your passion in a job that way you'll walk away every single day like oh I accomplished something I 
I did my passion today. And yeah. the book was saying most people don't have that. Most people just, they work, let's say, eight hours a day, which is most of their day. And in the eight hours, they're just like, I just want to go home. I want to do my free, my free time. Yeah. And most people spend their lives like that. And which and they spend most of their lives working. So it's actually pretty sad. Whereas if you find, the book was saying, if you find your passion, then you'll kind of find your purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And I think that for religious Jews and people that believe in God, we kind of already have that purpose and that meaning built into our day. Like, oh, there's a God watching me. I need to do this for them. I want to be grateful. I want to thank him. I want, and it's like an automatic kind of thing that we have already. Yeah, 100%. And it gives us a reason that we're in this world and a higher purpose. And it's, yeah, very, very powerful what you're saying, Ahuva. Thanks so much for sharing. And I want to thank you so much for being on this episode with us this week. Thank you for everything you shared and all the ideas that you brought up. I myself, you know, are it's percolating in my mind and it's helping me as well in my, you know, service of God. So thanks again. And thank you for thank joining you for us. having me. Thank you for listening and please tune in next week for our brand new episode.